I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, open with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're looking at verses 25 through 38 this morning. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 38. And if you don't have a Bible, you can turn to, in the Pew Bible there, grab one of the Pew Bibles and turn to 805 in the Pew Bible. That's page 805 in the Pew Bible. Well, it is that time of year for those New Year's resolutions. Uh, time to think about, uh, look, reflect back on the past year. And look forward to the next year. It's a time that we, we start looking at uh, bad habits and those kinds of things. And we start, start making plans to change some things in our lives. We want to improve on this next year. So uh, a lot of people make different kinds of New Year's resolutions. A lot of some of the more common resolutions out there are to, one, make a budget and stay, stick with it, right? Some people want to make their budget and stick with it. That's their, their New Year's resolution. Some make the resolution to read more, to study more. Uh, some people make the resolution to quit a bad habit. And, of course, one of the most popular ones is to, to get healthy, to start exercising, go on a diet, uh, take off those Christmas pounds, all that kind of thing. But what about your spiritual health? What about your spiritual help? What about making some, some resolutions to improve not just your physical health, but your spiritual health? What about making a resolution to become a healthy church member? What about that? Why don't we do that? Today, I want to give you a New Year's challenge. As we begin this New Year's, looking forward to this New Year's, I want to give you a New Year's challenge. And here's the challenge. Resolve to become a healthy church member. Resolve to become a healthy church member, a healthy Christian, right? A healthy follower of Jesus Christ. In today's text, we, we're going to look at two people, two individuals, who were there in Jesus' early days as he was a baby. But these two people exemplify for us what a healthy Christian, a healthy church member might look like. These two Two individuals are, are spiritual, uh, strong men and strong women, right? They're, 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 they're strong in their faith, and they provide us a wonderful example of a healthy church member, of what a healthy church member might look like. And so I want to look at Simeon and Anna today and their faith, their, their spiritual maturity, their strength their health as, as followers of God and followers of his Messiah. And as we look at them, I want to consider five characteristics of a healthy church member. Five characteristics of a healthy church member. And if you pursue these characteristics this, this next year, if you, you try to instill these into your life, then you will become a healthy church member. And healthy church members make a healthy church. So let's resolve to become healthy church members this next year. Now, just looking at our text here, we've been in Luke, the first part of Luke here for a few weeks now. As we've been in the Christmas uh, season and we've looked at the nativity and, and all of those things. But in, in these, these verses here, 25 through 38 in Luke chapter 2, uh, we see here that Jesus is about 40, years, uh, 40 days old. Excuse me, he's 40 days old. He's still a baby. And Joseph and Mary have taken him to the temple in Jerusalem to go through the ritual of purification. We talked about that a little bit last week and how they were keeping in obedience to God's law. Now, while they are in the temple doing this ritual of purification for Mary and for Jesus, they meet two people, two, a man and a woman of God who are there in the temple, both of them serving in the temple and they make a great impact. They make a great impact on Mary and Joseph. So I want to look at them today and their example of spiritual health. So if you found your place there in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 38, please stand with me, if you will, in reverence to God's holy word. 
Hear the word of the Lord. And now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the, the, when the parents brought in the child, Joseph and Mary, when they brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples and, a, and light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what he said what was said about him and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother behold this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed and there was a prophetess Anna the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when, he was, when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to this, this new year and this time of, of just reflecting on the past and looking to the future, Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to, to look at these two individuals and, Lord, their example for us, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would strive to be like them as we strive to, to live for you, to honor you and glorify you with our lives, Lord. Help us to be healthy Christians. Help us to be healthy church members. May that be one of our greatest resolutions this year, and not one that we just do for a little while and then let it slide, but Lord, let it be a resolution that we intend to keep all year long, doing the things necessary to grow in our relationship with you and to be healthy church members. Now, these things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, as we, we look at this and we look at the life of Simeon and Anna, uh, again, I want to point out here five characteristics of a healthy church member, and I want to kind of go through these rather quickly because I don't want to take up too much time. We need to do the Lord's Supper this morning as well. So uh, let's get right into it. A healthy church member is a person of great faith. First characteristic of a healthy church member, a healthy church member is a person of great faith, and we see this in the life of Simeon. Now, Simeon, it tells us here, was a, a man, and he was, he was around the temple. He was a man in Jerusalem. Uh, he was there, and, and he was a, a man of God. And it says right off the bat, And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And so this kind of gives us an insight into Simeon's character. He was a righteous and devout man. And the rest of that sentence, I think, goes on to kind of explain those two terms. What righteous and devout man really looks like. He was a righteous man waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now that word righteous there is uh, uh, dikaios in the Greek. It's the same word that's meant for justification. So righteousness and justification in the New Testament, they have the same Greek word. We have the different English terms it's the same term in the Greek and so he was a righteous man he was a, a justified man so, so often in the New Testament when, when we talk about someone being righteous uh, that person is not righteous on their own merit in fact there was only one in in the New Testament scriptures who was ever righteous on his own merit and that was Jesus Christ he is the only one who was righteous in his own merit that is, he is the only one who lived in sinless perfection. 
everyone else in Scripture who it says who they are righteous, there's this idea that they were not righteous by their own merit. They, they weren't living in sinless perfection, but they were made righteous. They were made righteous. And I think that's the same idea with Simeon. Simeon is reflecting the same kind of faith as Abraham had, and we talked about that a bit last week. You go back to, to Genesis uh, and back in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, when Abraham was there with God, and God said, Look up, Abraham, look at the stars of the heavens. Count them if you can. So shall your offspring be. And Abraham looked up the sky, and it says he believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham wasn't righteous on his own merit, but because of his faith in God, his faith in God's promise, Abraham was counted as righteous. And that's the same throughout all of Scripture. When someone is righteous before God, they are counted righteous because of their faith in God. And that's the same case with Simeon. He, he wasn't righteous because he was a sinless man. He had his problems. He had his sins in his life. But he was righteous because he believed God. He believed in God's salvation. He was looking for, as it says there, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. When you go back in the Old Testament, and, and there, a lot of times it talks about the coming consolation of Israel. When God would come and, and save Israel, and bless Israel, and restore Israel as a kingdom. And all of that was tied to the Messiah who would come, the offspring of David, who would come and establish his eternal kingdom on earth. He was the one who would save God's people from their enemies. And now Simeon says, here he is. Here is God's salvation. The Holy Spirit had already revealed it to him that he would see the Savior. He would see the Messiah born and come to the nation of Israel. And, and Simeon, as he holds Jesus in his hands, he says, now I can die. Right Now I can leave this world knowing that God has fulfilled his promise because here is God's salvation. He believed God and he was justified by his faith in God. And that's where it starts, right? That's where great faith begins. If you don't believe God, if you don't trust in Jesus Christ, then you have not faith. There's no faith. None whatsoever. Oh, you may believe in this thing and that thing, but you don't have saving faith. Faith starts by trusting in Jesus Christ, believing that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who was God in all of eternity past, right? He was the son of, eternal son of God. And Jesus Christ came out of glory, stepped out of heaven, came to this earth, was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a life of sinless perfection and sinless obedience to God, his Father. And though he was without sin, he went to Calvary's cross and he died in your place, bearing the penalty for your sin. And then three days later, he was raised again so that you might be justified in him if you believe in Jesus. That's where faith begins, by believing in Jesus. You can't be a person of great faith if you don't trust in Jesus, if you don't surrender your life to him. So great faith begins by being justified by faith, by trusting in Jesus Christ. But also, we see great faith is also a sanctifying faith. See, we see, uh, we've talked about this before, right? There's three, three phases of, of salvation. And, and you, you may remember this. There's three phases of salvation. There's justification, there's sanctification, and there's glorification. Two of those happen in this life, or they begin. The process begins in this life. First is justification. That's coming to faith in Jesus Christ, believing in him. When we come to Christ, we are justified. God declares us as righteous in Jesus Christ. We bear his sinless perfection. He clothes us in his sinless perfection when we believe in Jesus. That's justification. That's the first stage of salvation. The second stage of salvation is sanctification. That's when the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives and begins to, to guide us and groom us and to, to make us into the image of Jesus. This is a process that takes, uh, takes place over the course of our lives on, on this earth. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us slowly, but surely he sanctifies us. He makes us more and more like Jesus. And then there's glorification. 
glorification doesn't come until Jesus returns. When Jesus returns and he, he calls the saints up to meet him in the air and the dead in Christ are raised from the grave and, and our bodies are, are made perfect, our spirits are made perfect in Jesus because we see him and we're with him, that's when we become glorified. We become perfect in Jesus Christ. But that doesn't happen until Jesus returns. Our, our loved ones in heaven, they haven't experienced glorification yet. They're still being sanctified. But when, the, when Christ returns, all of those who are in Christ will be glorified. They'll be made perfect. But right now, we're in that stage of sanctification. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you're justified in Christ, then you're in the process of sanctification. So was Simeon. He was devout. That word devout there, uh, the, the Greek word means to be God-fearing, to exhibit careful religious practices and purpose, uh, veneration and, and proper veneration, excuse me, and proper veneration toward God. It's to be pious, right? It's to, to engage in spiritual disciplines so that you, you grow in your likeness to Jesus Christ. You become more godly as you devote yourself to the spiritual disciplines. That's what Simeon was doing. He was being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of people will say, well, um, didn't the Holy Spirit, he, he didn't come into play until Acts, right? When the apostles, or, yeah, the apostles were there, the disciples were there, they were gathered together, and the Holy Spirit came down, and the fire like a, a tongue came down and settled upon them. They began speaking in tongues. That's when the Holy Spirit came into play. Well, yeah, that's when the change happened, right? But the Holy Spirit's always been active. Now, don't, don't be mistaken, all throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was active. He was just active in a different way. We see this explained to us in the New Testament. John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17, Jesus explains to us how the Holy Spirit's role kind of shifts a little bit on the day of Pentecost when he began to, to indwell Christians. John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He dwells with you. See, this was pre-Pentecost. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, he dwells with you. But one day he will be in you. And see, that's the different role of the Holy Spirit from pre-Pentecost, post-Pentecost. Before he was with the saints of God. In the Old Testament, he was with the saints of God. How does a person become saved? A person becomes saved when they're born again. When the Holy Spirit regenerates them, gives them new life so that they can understand the gospel and receive the gospel. The Holy Spirit is there. He does that. And then he guides the people. He, he, in the Old Testament, he guided the saints. He was with them, guiding them and helping them grow in their relationship with God. Helping them to become sanctified. The difference is for us New Testament saints, after the day of Pentecost... He's not just with us, but now he's in us. He regenerates us. We come to faith and he moves in. <laughs> he dwells in us. And now he's doing that work not just with us, but in us. Changing us and transforming us. Making us more like Jesus. So a healthy church member, just like Simeon. Simeon, it says here, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit was with him guiding him, giving him direction, helping him to grow in his relationship with God. But at the same time, he was giving in to that direction, right? He, he was working with the Holy Spirit. He was working in this process of sanctification. And, and it is that way. It, it is a work of God that God is doing in us as New Testament saints. He's doing it working in us, but he also calls us to work along with him. As he's working in us to sanctify us. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 through 13. Therefore my beloved. As you have always obeyed. So now not only in my presence. But much more in my absence. 
Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is something that you have to work out. You have to work out your, sal- your salvation, your sanctification. That's what he's talking about here. You've got to work out your own sanctification and fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So, so God is working in us to change us when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. He moves in. He begins to work in us to change us, to make us like Jesus. But at the same time, he says, join me in this process. Join me in the work. How do you join him in the work? You study his word. You, you get into the scriptures. You, you read the scriptures. You study the scriptures. You, you spend time in prayer. You, you follow his, his guidance in your life. You get involved in the spiritual disciplines of Bible intake, Bible study, uh, Bible readings. You, you, study, you, you, you get involved with prayer, right? You, you memorize scripture. You do all of these things. You, you come together with the saints of God in church and, and you serve and you worship the Lord there. All of these things help you to, to grow in your relationship with Jesus. It, it helps you to grow in your sanctification, So work out your salvation. Get involved in the process, even as God is working in you to make you like Jesus. Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling, even as God works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. If you want to be a healthy church member, you must be, first of all, a person of great faith. You have to believe in Jesus Christ. You have to be justified by God's grace through faith in Jesus. And then you have to surrender to the Holy Spirit in your life as he works in your life to make you holy like Jesus. Read your Bible. That's why, again, today we have the the reading plan. If you didn't get it last week, now you can get it this week. Here's the reading plan for for this next year. If nothing else, at least take the, the one bookmark there that's highlighted, bookmark number one, family, and at least read that one, because that's what we're as a church, we're going to dedicate ourselves to read at least that one. That's going to take us through the historical books of the Old Testament, Genesis through the Chronicles. And we're going to read that together. And the men's group on Wednesday night, we're going to discuss that and, and study that together. And so read at least that and, and take time to, to study whatever passage you read every day on that. Take time to study that and just ask this question, What is God teaching me in this text? What is he teaching me in this chapter? How am I supposed to apply? What am I supposed to apply in this this chapter to my life? So ask that question. Study at least that one. And if you want to go beyond that, then, hey, you've got four more bookmarks there you can add in. Uh, If you want to move from bookmark number one, then uh, add in bookmark number two, and that'll take you through the New Testament and the Psalms in in the year. So you can read the first part of the Old Testament and all of the New Testament and the Psalms in this year. Then move on to bookmark number three, and you can read through the whole Bible in a year. And then if you move on to bookmark number four, and read all four bookmarks. You, you read through the whole Bible once and the New Testament twice in a year. So whatever, you, you can make it your, your own. You can customize it. But at least, right, commit to te- today to at least read through bookmark number one as we read through that as a church so that you begin to understand what God wants in your life. Begin to apply God's word to your life. So that you can grow in faith and your sanctification. A healthy church member is a person of great faith. Second, and this one is kind of just leads right into it. A healthy church member is spirit led. A healthy church member is spirit led. Just read there verses 26 and 27. And it had been revealed to him, Simeon, by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit in the temple. And when his parents had brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Simeon here is a man who was spirit-led, right? He, He gave in to the Holy Spirit's guidance. Now, being led by the Spirit is something that it takes a little time. It takes a little maturity to get there to be led by the spirit 
And, and so when, when you think about being led by the Spirit, the Spirit doesn't talk to us verbally. He doesn't speak to us, and, and we hear an audible voice in our mind or anything like that. But, but nonetheless, we are led by the Spirit. The Spirit can urge us and give us direction in life of, of things to do. And as you grow in your faith, then it becomes more and more evident as the Spirit guides us and leads us in, in different things in our life. Now, the first way that we know how the Spirit is leading us is, again, by reading the Bible. That's how God speaks to us, primarily. He speaks to us through His Word, so you have to read the Bible. But then also, the Spirit leads us. He guides us by just nudging us. He, he puts desires in our hearts. For example, I remember one time a few years back when I was pastoring up in Arkansas, that was uh, a lady who had started coming to our, our church. Let's just call her Miss Jenkins. Miss Jenkins started coming to our church, and she had come to a church maybe two or three times, not very many times, but uh, she had just kind of moved back to town and was kind of getting settled in, looking for a church home. Then she had a heart attack. And so I went to visit her after she had her heart attack. She was in intensive care, and so I went to visit her because I knew she didn't have a, a pastor there locally. I was the closest thing she had to a pastor. And so I went, and I visited her in her intensive care, and I, I got to talk, talk with her. She was uh, alert, up and alert, and uh, we were able to talk, and, and I got to share with her, and she shared with me her faith in Jesus Christ. And so I prayed with her and got to, a good visit with her that day. A couple of days later, I was driving by the hospital, and the Holy Spirit just urged me, right? I just felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me, you need to go visit Miss Jenkins. But Lord, I, I, I was just there like a couple of days ago. I mean, she was fine. She's, she's recovering. She'll be back home before long. But I just felt the Holy Spirit say, go visit Miss Jenkins. And so I pulled into the hospital parking lot, parked went up to the hospital, and, and she had actually gotten moved out of ICU and, and into a private room, and so I went in I, I, to visit her, and her sister was there. And uh, she had told me that Miss Jenkins had been up earlier, uh, up talking and, and alert and all of that, but she had just kind of uh, went to sleep, and she was taking a little nap and needed some rest. So, okay, well, I just sat down and started talking with her sister. Well, while I was sitting there talking to her sister, a nurse came in. And the nurse checked her vitals, and all of a sudden, the nurse ran out. And in a minute, another nurse came in with her. Both nurses came in. And they looked at us and said, we're going to have to ask you all to leave. Something's happening here. We've, we've called the doctor, but you all are going to have to leave the room. And so I went out with Miss Jenkins' sister, and we were sitting out there in the hallway, and the doctor came in. In a little bit, the doctor came out, and he said, I'm sorry to tell you, but Miss Jenkins has passed away. She had another heart attack while she was napping, and, and she's gone. Now, Miss Jenkins' sister was there all by herself. She thought Miss Jenkins was going home, right? She, she thought everything was good. We all did. But by God's providence, by his guidance, right, he led me to be there at the very moment that Miss Jenkins passed away so that I could be there with her sister and comfort her and pray with her and be with her until her husband was able to drive 30 miles in to, to be with her. Man, after that, I just went down to my truck and I just sat there for about 10 minutes and just praised God because he allowed me to be with that lady to comfort her in a, a most stressful time. And it was all because he, he led me there. I would not have gone there on most days, right? I'd just been there a couple of days ago. I didn't think there was any need to visit, but the Holy Spirit led me in that moment to be there. And what a blessing I got out of that, to be able to comfort a lady in a time of such great distress, a, a time of mourning. So you have to... to Give in to the Holy Spirit, right? You have to allow the Holy Spirit to, to lead and guide you. There are other times in my life that I didn't listen to the Holy Spirit, and I missed a blessing. I'll be honest. There, there's been other times in my life that the Holy Spirit said, why don't you go talk to this person and, and share Jesus with them? I said, oh, no, Lord, I'm too busy. I'm too... And, and then, you know, somebody else got to lead them to the Lord. And I could have been the one. I could have had that blessing. But I listened to the Holy Spirit, right? There's been those times. 
but it's about listening to the Holy Spirit and, and being sensitive to his guidance in our lives. And when he urges us and he leads us to, to give in to that. Now, we have to be careful. We have to understand that there's other voices out there that's speaking into our little ears and trying to give us guidance and, and all of that. And First uh, John 4.1 tells us about this. It warns us about this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, he's primarily here talking about false teachers, but the same thing applies to, to those spiritual urgings, those spiritual guidance that we might get, those little voices, if you will, uh, in our heads that kind of nudge us to do this, that, and the other. If we're Christians, some of that is the Holy Spirit urging us, guiding us, pushing us to do things. But how do we know? Because there's still Satan and all of his little minions out there. They're doing the same thing, right? They're talking in our ear. They're trying to get us to do things that wouldn't honor God and glorify God. How do we know the difference? How do we tell the difference? How would he, we discern whether it's the, the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Satan? Because Satan, let's be honest, Satan, he kind of flowers it up. He dresses it up real nice. He makes it look good. How do we discern the difference? By reading God's word. Test the spirits. That's what John is saying in 1 John chapter 4. Test the spirits. How do you test the spirits? Is what the spirit is saying to you consistent with God's word? Because God will never lead you to do something that's contrary to his word. Let me say that again. God will never lead you to do anything that is contrary to his word. Ever. Never, ever, ever. Man, I've heard people, they come up to me and, and tell me the most insane things. Oh, well, God really wants me to be with this married man. I just know it in my heart. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. That's not God. That's the devil. That's the devil you're listening to. If, if, if it's a voice in your mind, if a spirit is guiding you to do anything that is contrary to God's word, it's not God. God doesn't change. And so how do you discern what spirit is talking to you? You read God's word. You study his word. We're a people of the book because we are people of God's word. We want to follow God. And so if you're going to discern the Spirit and be led by the Spirit, you've got to get into God's Word first and foremost. And then be sensitive to the Holy Spirit as He guides you in your life. So be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's guidance. A healthy church member is a person of great faith, is led by the Spirit. And then a healthy church member is a faithful witness. He is a faithful witness. He or she is a faithful witness. That's what Simeon does, isn't it? He takes up Jesus in his arms and he blesses God and he says to all of those who are around him, including Mary and Joseph, Lord, now, let your, uh, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. He testifies to the salvation of God in Jesus Christ in that moment. He speaks the, the truth of the gospel. He speaks the truth of the gospel, and that's what a faithful witness does. A faithful witness speaks the truth of the gospel. Let's just let's look at a little bit of what he says about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number one, he says, he, he tells people that Christ is God's salvation for all who believe. He says that, that Christ is the, God's salvation for all who believe. Now, now Lord, you're, la, you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Your salvation that is prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. Now, as he's sitting there in the temple, that wouldn't have been a, 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 a very popular phrase, right? He's saying that your salvation is here. Here's your salvation. This little baby is your salvation. Jesus is not just the way of salvation. He is salvation. He is our salvation. And Simeon says not only is he God's salvation, but he is a, God's salvation for the Jews and the Gentiles. 
Now, for the Jews who were standing there in the temple, the priests, and they would have been like, what are you talking about? No, God's salvation is for the Jews only. But no, he says, this is the salvation for all of the people. For all the people, for the Gentiles and Jews alike, he is God's salvation for all who would believe in him. He is God's salvation. Second, Christ is, is the dividing line. And we get this as we go on down. As Simeon begins to bless Joseph and Mary, he looks to Mary and says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. The fall and rise of many in Israel. Fall and rise. Fall and rise. Jesus is the dividing line. He is the dividing line. Not just in Israel, but in all of creation. Jesus is the dividing line. Everyone either rises or falls at Jesus. You either believe in Jesus and trust in Jesus and come to saving faith in Jesus, or you look to Jesus and says, no thank you, and you fall. There's no other way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The world has a lot of different ways that they want to, to, to pursue to try to find salvation. But Scripture tells us clearly there's no other way. Jesus is God's salvation. And dear friend, you either rise and by the word, that word rise there is the same word that's used for resurrection. You are resurrected in Jesus by trusting in him, surrendering to him, or you fall into judgment because you reject him. Jesus is the dividing line. Second or third, Jesus is opposed. Jesus is opposed. He is for the rise and fall of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. He is a sign of God that is opposed. Jesus is opposed. And, and this would come to fruition as Jesus became a man 33 years later when the Pharisees and the scribes and the uh, priests and, and then all the, the Gentile leaders as well became to, came to oppose Jesus and send him to Calvary's cross. Jesus was opposed. Jesus is still opposed. We live in a world that is, is given to Satan. They, this, this world follows the prince and the power of the air, as Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. And this world is opposed to God. And as this world is opposed to God, they're opposed to Jesus. And guess what, dear friends? That means they're opposed to Christians. They're opposed to Christians. As he goes on, feeding from that right into the next, following Christ is a mark of suffering. Following Christ is a mark of suffering, as he tells Mary there, and for a sign to the opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul. A sword will pierce through your own soul. He's telling Mary that one day a sword is going to pierce your soul. He's referring to the day that Jesus Christ would hang up there on Calvary's cross with his arms spread, suffering and dying and bearing the, the wrath of God for our sins. As he suffered and died, his mother looked upon him and her soul was pierced. But I want you to know, it wasn't just a mark of suffering for Mary. Following Jesus Christ is a mark of suffering for every Christian. Scripture clearly tells us, anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You will suffer some way, somehow, because of your faith in Jesus Christ. If you don't suffer somehow, some way, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you're not doing it right. Something's wrong. Something's going on. You're giving in to the world. You're following the prince of the power of the air, not the prince of, of God's kingdom. If you're following the prince of God's kingdom, you're opposed to this world. And you're living in opposition to this world. And this world is opposed to you. If we're not suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ in this world, something's wrong. We ought to ask ourselves, am I compromising too much? Am I giving in to the ways of this world too much? 
Am I a friend to this world? To be a friend of this world, Scripture says, is to be an enemy of God. We need to take that to heart. We need to take that to heart. We need to understand that. We need to examine our own lives. Are we suffering for Jesus? Are we suffering for Jesus? Are we conforming to him or are we conforming to this world? Following Jesus Christ is marked by suffering. And fifth, Christ is the only hope of salvation. And the thought, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. As Simeon says that last little sentence there, he is referring to the judgment that is to come. The hearts of many shall be revealed just a few weeks ago last week we were i was finishing up a lot of us were finishing up revelation as we finished up last year's reading schedule we were finishing up revelation and it had there in verse uh, in chapter uh, 21 i believe isn't that right 21 uh have the the judgment seat of, of of god the great white throne judgment and it says there that books were opened and all those who, whose name was not written in the Lamb's book of life, they were judged according to the books, the books of their lives. All, every sin recorded, every, every sinful thought, every sinful deed, every sin that you have ever committed will be recorded in those books. And those who are outside of Jesus Christ will be judged by the books. Their thoughts will be made known. Can you imagine that day? Just think about that. If all of your sins were broadcasted on a theater screen, what would you do? For those outside of Jesus Christ, that's going to be a reality. Those who are outside of Christ will be judged by every sinful thought, word, and deed. They'll all come to be known. Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. Without Jesus, you fall. Without Jesus, you're judged. Without Jesus, you suffer da eternal damnation in a devil's hell. A healthy church member testifies to the truth of the gospel. So many people today, they don't testify to the truth of the gospel. So many people today say, believe in Jesus and your life will be better. No, it won't. Not in this life, it won't. If you believe in Jesus, it doesn't make your life easier here and now. Oh, it's coming, but, but here and now you're going to suffer. Because it means you've got to turn away from your old lifestyle. You turn away from sin, you turn away from the devil's ways, and you follow Jesus, and, and you live as an enemy to this world for the rest of your life. It's not easier. It's harder. But the blessing is coming. The blessing is coming. The, the joy is the eternal joy, the eternal hope that we have in Jesus. You see, we've got to be honest. We can't give people false hopes. They say, oh, well, if you believe in Jesus, everything's going to be better for you here and now. You're going to get rich. You're going to do all this. You're going to be healthy, and, and everything's going to fall into place if you just follow Jesus. No, if you follow Jesus, it's going to be harder. In many ways, it's going to be harder. But Jesus is the only hope of eternal salvation. And when Jesus comes and this world's over, that's when the reward comes. We've got to speak the truth in love. We've got to be faithful witnesses to the true gospel. A healthy church member tells people the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Fourth, a healthy church member is a faithful servant. A healthy faith, uh, church member is a faithful servant. And now we, we get to Anna here. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and when she was and as then as a widow until she was eighty four. 
she did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day that doesn't literally mean that she like lived in the temple but she was there all the time that's what it's getting at it she was there all the time but notice she was a faithful servant and she was a faithful servant all of her life when you think back to her her, her earlier life whatever stage of life she was in in her earlier days as a, a young virgin she served god in the way she was meant to serve god and her purity when she was married, she served God by being a faithful wife to her husband. And then when her husband died, she, she went to the temple and she prayed and fasted and worshipped God. She was there serving in the temple in whatever capacity she served. And see, that's the characteristic of a faithful church member, a healthy church member. A healthy church member serves God in every, every uh, stage of life. Well, I know some of you. One in particular that I'm thinking about right now that served her family. As a young woman, she served her family and, and raised her kids to be godly children and to, to love and fear the Lord. She raised them in church, and, and every time that she was here, and she, she served in, in the children's department, and, and she did everything that she could to serve not only her family at home, but she served here in the church all of her life. Then when her family moved away, her children moved away, she served in the church. She served her husband as a faithful wife to her husband. When her husband got sick and unable to care for himself, she was there by his side the whole time caring for him, taking care of him, serving God by serving her husband. And then when her husband passed away, she poured her life even more, just like Anna, she poured her life even more into the life of the church. She's one of my faithful counselors. Has a thousand ideas all the time, giving me ideas and just it giving me that wonderful counsel and just a faithful member serving every way that she can. Most of us know who it is, but I'm not going to name her name because I didn't ask her if I could do this. But a faithful servant of god in every stage of life a healthy church member is a servant of god now maybe you can't serve like you used to maybe you can't be a a youth uh a youth sponsor and go off on youth trips and all that maybe you can't do that anymore but you can pray you can serve in other aspects of the church. Some of our greatest servants are homebound because they pray for us day in and day out as they, they live their life. A healthy church member is a faithful servant. A healthy church member is a faithful servant. Number five, a healthy church member is a prayer warrior. A healthy church member is a prayer warrior. Notice what Anna did there. Anna, in her, her life, she worshiping, uh, she worshiped God with fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer usually go together in the New Testament. Fasting is just a, a way to, to, to spend more time in prayer. That's basically what it is. But a faithful church member, a healthy church member, is a prayerful church member. They're warriors of prayer. They pray for the church. They pray for the people of God. I'm reminded of Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers. Uh, one of the first great megachurches of the modern age was Spurgeon's church, the Metropolis uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle there in England. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he was the centerpiece, right? He, he was this great preacher. There was a fire in him, and, and he preached God's word faithfully and truthfully, and people poured in to hear him. I think the, the tabernacle held like 7,000 people, and usually there, the, the church was full, and there were people outside listening to him preach. I mean, he was a, a wonderful instrument of God. Some young preachers came in one day, and they wanted to, to see Spurgeon and talk to him and, and I, I imagine, get some advice from him. And, and so as they came in, Spurgeon welcomed them in. He brought them into that massive sanctuary. He showed them all around and told them. And then he said, y'all want to come see the boiler room? The boiler room? Why don't we want to 
want to see the boiler room. And they, they tried to resist. No, we don't need to see the boiler room. We just want to talk to you. Oh, no, I insist. You got to come see my boiler room. You got to come see my boiler room. So he led them down out of the sanctuary, down a little hall, down a little stairwell, into a little room down underneath the sanctuary. And he cracked open the door. And in this room were about 100 congregants on their knees praying. And Spurgeon looked at those young ministers and he says, this is the power of this church. These prayer warriors are the power of this church. Why do, were, were there 7,000 people plus coming to listen to Spurgeon preach week after week after week? Because there were prayer warriors in the church empowering the church to prayer. Healthy church members are prayer warriors. We need some prayer warriors. We need more prayer warriors. We need more of our congregation surrendering to the power of prayer. We need more church members on their knees before God, praying for our church, our community, our country. Become a healthy church member by becoming a, a prayer warrior. How do you do that? Well, of course, you spend specific time in prayer. Whittle out an hour a day, 30 minutes a day, whatever you can spare. Whittle out some time to, to devote to prayer every day. But then have the spirit of prayer about you all the time. Pray without ceasing. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, I need to hurry here. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. Pray without ceasing, be in a spirit of prayer all the time. So that whenever something comes to mind, you just stop and, and pray for it. Or pray for it while you're, you're going about your life. You know, every great awakening, every outpouring of the Holy Spirit on church or nation began when God's people humbled. And prayer to the Lord. If you want to be a healthy church member, you want this church to be a healthy church, become a prayer warrior. So my, church, my challenge to you today, dear friends, is this. Resolve to become a healthy church member. Resolve to become a healthy church member. Because a healthy church member leads to a healthy church. And we want to be a healthy church. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example that you have given us here in Anna and, and Simeon for their faithfulness. Lord, we pray that we would be able to imitate them. Lord, let us, each and every one of us here today, resolve to be a healthy church member, a healthy Christian, to grow more in our likeness to you. Empower us this year. And Lord, if there's any today who never trusted in Jesus, then Lord, I would pray today that, they would, that you would turn their hearts to know you. Give them new life. Let them see Jesus. Let them turn to Jesus. Trust in him. And know the power of your salvation in their life. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.